Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. It's podcast in time, podcasterinos. Damn it, I am Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, trying to find a new uh, strategy for introducing the show because I got tired of the old ways, and I ju- that was not a success. Nope. Uh, it was a miserable failure. Yep. Um, and uh, today, though, my guest is not a miserable failure. It's Mr. Billy Wayne Davis. Hey, air horn. Sorry, air horn, air horn. So loud. How you doing, Billy? Good. Was that too Good. loud? I liked it. No, <laughs> I liked no, that was fine. <laughs> I think a lot of people who have their their car stereos up high in the early part of the show are maybe frustrated with you. You might have caused a car wreck or two. It God was willing. aggressive. I apologize, you guys. I was just excited. Yeah, yeah it's okay. I mean, it made me Billy, happy. I'm trying to find a new way to introduce my show, and I'm clearly terrible at it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, notes. You know, you're a professional introducer. I know. I mean. It's basically, I like the way you were doing it before, because it was like... The what's X and my Y's? Yeah. Yeah. It's catchy, and I mean, it's exhausting to come up with a new one every time, but... It is. I do like when I feel it, my favorite part is when you can feel you making it up as you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the case every time. I mm-hmm. was, I'm debating as to whether or not to stick to a format, though, but... uh. I well, wrote, there is a, we I have wrote a, one. He won't use the one I wrote. He has a format. You yeah. wrote one? Yeah. You, what, what did you write? I said, what's salty my ex-boyfriends? It's great, right? No? Nobody? All right. Continue with your show. I'm just going to go ahead. What's hide. assaulting your ex-boyfriends? Okay. No, what's well, salty we have some, like salt oh, it, see, as opposed already, to what's oh. cracking my peppers? It already takes you in a direction you do not want to go off the bat where you're mm-hmm. like, wait, what are you, mm-hmm. is that? 
Oh, is she okay? Because I don't, I don't know what's salting your ex-boyfriends. I do know what's cracking my peppers. I like that one. It's the pepper cracker that I have. You like a de pepper. Also, buy that shirt on Tee Public. It's cute. Okay. Yeah. So we have some old business before we get into the episode today, Billy. Uh, one of those pieces of old business is that uh, a couple of, of our fans found you at a comedy show and gave you a wonderful gift for me. Yes. Uh, well, that's a, and an odd gift. They did contact me and us before on Twitter, which was nice and very thoughtful because it is nice to know to expect this gift. And Yeah, it's not a kind of gift you'd want to receive at random. <laughs> no, God. And especially at this show, it was like in a house basement in Louisville. Oof. <laughs> so, like, the show was in this guy's, these people's basement, and then I was selling T-shirts and just meeting people afterwards in their living room, basically. And then, yeah, these people stood in line very patiently, and they're like, hey, we'd like to buy a T-shirt. And I was like, cool. And then they're like, also, here you go. And I was like, ah, it's real. <laughs> And and what 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 was this gift, Billy? It was it's a brown shirt, uh, Nazi dagger, <laughs> and it's it's legit. And uh, they reached out to us on Twitter beforehand and explained that it was like a family heirloom they didn't want to have anymore. Yes, and he was a brother and sister. Um, they so were I, so I, happy I'm, to give it to me. <laughs> And I, I don't really know what to do with such a thing. Um, it is a piece of history, uh, and and uh, an interesting one at that. Um, definitely not the kind of thing you want to have out just in your living room, because people will make the wrong conclusions about it. No, uh, and my wife and mother-in-law mm-hmm. were at my house when I opened it, because I shipped it, because I didn't want to fly with it. Yeah. Also, I have blonde hair and blue eyes. Somebody just found me with it. They'd be like, "Yeah, this checks out." <laughs> yeah. Was all, yeah. This is his. Well, in it, the fact that it's a family heirloom of theirs reminds me of one of my weird family moments. But my my dad's dad did something spooky for the U.S. government. Like he was doing. He was always over in Vietnam during the war, and nobody seems to know precisely what he was up to. Like there's like the thing that he said he was doing, but everybody in the family's like, yeah, but it was anyway. And he was he was never dirty. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) No, no. I mean it was it was so like that was what he did in like the '60s. But he was in Germany right after the war. Um, and years after he died, we found like a little box that was just full to the brim with like Hitler youth armbands and like pennants and stuff like that, like a whole lot of them. Um, and it was always like, what the, what's the story here? Like, I'm certain it was just like, he was in Germany after the war. They found a bunch of Nazis. He was like, I'll, uh, we should put this in a box, but it's weird. It's a weird thing to like find, right? (laughs) Like to find a bunch of them. Is yeah, weird, like finding one, you're like, I can see where like, someone just put, I'm gonna take that. That's pretty weird. But yeah. to find a bunch of them, like, did you do something with a bunch of them? <laughs> and I don't think so, but it was, it's a strange, it's a strange thing to come across. Um, and I'm gonna guess it was something like that for our fans, where that some, somebody's grandpa was over in Germany, yes, and shoot some guy or is in some house, or like, oh, okay, I guess this is what I'm taking back. It was used. <laughs> Yeah. It was, I mean, I, uh, yeah, it's haunted for sure. (laughs) Well, Billy, speaking of Nazis and speaking of racists, today's episode is about the racist chemical weapons engineer who probably cooked up the MDMA that you'd used if you've done MDMA. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, I told you it was going to be uplifting. I mean, it's it's a fun one. He's a doctor, so it's on brand for us. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure he is a doctor. <laughs> That's, but I mean, I always assume when you're doing certain types of drugs, you're like, there's just, there's bad people have touched this. Like cocaine, for sure. Yes. Um, like MDMA is made in a lot of different places. Like I've known some people who were like, it, what made, cooked MDMA in their like college lab while they were getting their PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I feel fine about that, you yes. know? Uh, yeah, that but I seems mean, ethical just, to me. <laughs> I just mean on the black market, period. Yeah. There's always, there's when you go to the black market, you're like, ah, there's just, yeah. there, you have to accept there's a percentage of like bad is involved in this. But, yeah. And bad people, you know, it's how like most good people accidentally do bad stuff. It sounds like this bad guy accidentally did some good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's, like, so the, the the extent to which this guy was selling MDMA is such that if you did ecstasy in the 1990s, uh, during like, the height of the rave scene, or probably in the early 2000s, there's a very good chance you did this guy's ecstasy. Cool. Like, if, if, you, were, if you were raving in, like, 1998, uh, and you did, you came across a batch of fucking awesome E, like, there's, a, a, like, the odds are really good that it was cooked by this dude, Walter Basson. So, that's the guy we're talking about today. Um, and we're not talking about his, mostly about his career making ecstasy. We're talking about his career as a chemical weapons engineer trying to exterminate the black race. Oh, um, see? There's always... <laughs> yeah. Ooh, uh, boy. <laughs> you had me. I was like, I don't know. He sounds pretty fun. He just yes, makes a great. lot of great... Oh, okay. 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 He's 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 a genocider. <laughs> oh, damn it. Attempted genocider. Yeah. Um, so it's, the story of Walter Basson is a really fucked up and interesting one, but, but to actually like tell it, uh, there's a lot of background that I think people need about the history of chemical weapons. So we're going to talk about that a little bit first. Are you a chemical weapons fan, Billy? No. No? I mean, I understand them. That's a bold take. You know, I've, I like all military stuff on some level, so I've read into it, but some of it gets real horrific so quick. Yeah. Like in the uh, yeah torture kind of way. Do you know what I mean? Y- yeah, so it, like it's like I can enjoy, like I can I can both understand like the horror of trench warfare in World War One and how much artillery played into that, yes. and appreciate like looking at a piece of artillery and how it functions and the way the mechanics work. And part of that's because, like, you can see, like, you can go to a war reenactment, and you can see cannons being used, and they're not hurting anybody. There's there's none of that with chemical weapons. Like, they, they, there's no, like, displaying them. There's no appreciating uh, the mechanics of it. Like, it's purely designed to not just kill people, but to do it horribly. Horribly. Um, horribly. Yes. Like... With firearms, they do horrible things, too, but we also get, like, fireworks out of that genealogy. Like, there's fun things associated with Yes! <laughs> yeah. Not with chemical weapons. <laughs> We're like, this makes your insides be on your outside, and you're like, just, yeah. just blow somebody up, man. Come on. Yeah. What yeah, An honest, God-fearing howitzer. Yeah. Yes. There's something so, to that, like, just instant death. Yeah. Yeah, instant death and, like, death in a way that, you know, we've been doing for a long... Like, people have always blown each other up in war. In you kind of like, know what you're They've had different getting, ways yeah. of doing it. Yeah. 
but this chemical weapons are like pretty new. Um, and this is actually something like we talk about in the Fritz Haber episodes. And whenever I talk about like the birth of chemical weapons, like a whole bunch of people are going to hit me up on Twitter and be like, no, the first use was this and the first use was that. And they'll tell stories about like Mongols catapulting plague victims over walls or like something like that. And I, I, I get what they're saying. I don't think that stuff really counts. Um, because, like, sickness has always been a part of war, and, like, cunning commanders have always found ways to spread illness among their enemies, because it makes sense. Yes. Uh, chemical weapons, in the modern sense, are something really different, I think. Um, just, just one yeah. immune Mongol just running with the plague. <laughs> <laughs> There's so Mr. The, the chemical first fo- warfare over there. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between that and like gassing a town with sarin, in my view. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because yeah. yeah, that's just more of like, hey, this is this works, but being like, yeah, someone in the their army being like, we're gonna gas them. You're like, wait, what? No, what? Ah, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, and this is like a personal line for everybody, so people may disagree with me, but I can. We, it's like. it's complicated when you try to talk about like where it all started. Like the first formal treaty that forbade something that you could call chemical warfare was probably the Franco German treaty of 1675, but that just banned the use of poison in war. So it wasn't really like, like chemical weapons. It was more like you can't rub shit on your bullets and then shoot people. That's bad. You know, it was like that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1874, a bunch of, uh, I mean, you can, and shit's going to get in your bullet wounds anyway, because mm-hmm. there's poop everywhere in war. That's one of the eternal truths of war, is all the poop. Um, and a festival. Yeah, it, it's the same. And, and the what? And a festival, like a music festival. Yes, yeah, music festivals and warfare have a lot in common. Um, I'm actually more okay with the use of chemical warfare on music festivals, but I'm not a big fan of Bonnaroo, so. No, it's... Live Nation bought it. Give a shit <laughs> um, so in 1874, about a dozen European states signed the Brussels Declaration, which banned poison gas and other poisons as weapons of war. So it was the first time like a modern chemical weapon was banned is 1874. Um, and the Brussels Declaration was never ratified. But in 1899, the Hague Convention on the Laws of War was signed by every major European power, and they agreed universally to avoid the use of poison. The convention included a declaration on asphyxiating gases uh, and explicitly forbade the use of projectiles designed solely for gas warfare. Now, the first modern chemical weapons attack uh, on a huge scale occurred at Ypres in Belgium on uh, April 22nd, 1914. We talked about this on the Fritz Haber episode. German soldiers emptied cans of chlorine gas and trusted the wind to carry them into the foe. Um, And there were similar experiments. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? On that day, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, but afterwards, it it didn't work out so well for anybody. Jesus. so yeah, it's um that was like the first kind of like modern chemical weapon attack and by the end of World War 1 there'd been a grand total of 3000 different chemical agents tested as potential weapons. So every side was guilty of this even though they'd signed a thing saying they wouldn't do it. Um, something like 124,000 metric tons of chemical weapons were delivered via 66 million artillery shells over the course of the war, causing around a million casualties. And as you might notice, this clearly violates the the letter and spirit of the Hague Convention. Mm-hmm. Um, the way all the powers got around this was by arguing that their poison gas shells didn't violate the letter of the Hague Convention um, because the, the, the explosive shells they delivered them in 
didn't just kill people with gas. Since they exploded, they still killed people through explosions, too. So their argument was like, well, the Hague Convention just bans shells that only disperse chemical weapons. Since well, our shells well, explode, technically, too. Technically, <laughs> technically, it, we also... <laughs> I, yeah, I, I hate you guys so much. I hate you. It's so fucking <laughs> shitty. Yeah. And it reminds me, like, as a kid, I was a war gamer. Like, I played a lot of those little games with models. And, like, the rules lawyering that you encounter in that hobby, it's just weird to realize, like, oh, the same thing happens in real war. Like, yeah. there were a bunch of, like, overweight, shitty assholes standing around a table being like, no, it doesn't break the rules because of this. It's amazing. Just a Just a bunch of bearded dudes who've never been near a battlefield yelling about like what doesn't break the letter of the law while like actual soldiers get gassed it's amazing well, that's what i was thinking like while you were saying that there's every war it sounds like there comes to a point where like okay okay you can't do that anymore god damn stop doing that like every yeah. war there's like something like we humans just figure out like okay okay what about this and then it comes to the point <laughs> where everybody's like all right it's just we gotta stop we can't do that oh god what what is that? Stop that! <laughs> Every time, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so yeah, it it it. World War One was shit. Uh, chemical weapons made it worse. And in 1925, the Great Powers signed the Geneva Protocol on asphyxiating poisonous and other gases, um, which would have banned all chemical weapons in warfare, like without any sort of exceptions in it. Um, the only two major powers who did not ratify. The proposal were the United States and Japan, which is interesting. The U.S. has a long history of advocating for rules in warfare, but then forbidding or refusing to sign on to them because it will limit what we can do you in wars. Sign that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should. We it's probably a good thing to sign. No, should sign um, that. I should say though that like the the Geneva Convention was kind of bullshit um, in some ways, just because like there was an exemption in it that if you were attacked with chemical weapons by a state, you could use chemical weapons in defense of your country. And there was another provision that allowed chemical weapons to be used on any states or groups that had not signed the Geneva Protocol, um, which meant that colonial powers could continue to deploy mustard gas against their tribal enemies. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we can't use chemical weapons on other white people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 yeah, basically that's, the law that they agree on after World War One. <laughs> we're not barbarians, <laughs> but we're going to keep doing this to the people we call barbarians. We do need to keep some order because yeah, it, the Geneva Protocols also made it legal to stockpile chemical weapons. So it's like you can't use them, <laughs> but you can build up an arsenal of them, and you can use it if you're attacked or if you need to suppress people who don't have a country. So that's cool. That's like they're just giving people like poker chips and like you can't spend them unless you like mm -hmm. really need it. Unless you really want to. Yeah. You kind of that's kind of always how rules about warfare are. Like nobody it's it's I guess in part because it's usually not people who have ever faced those weapons uh who are like signing onto the conventions about them. It's a bunch of politicians being like yeah, and generals all sort of like debate, but well, okay, but what if we need to? Well, then we'll we'll have this exception in so that we can still use them if we need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is that, I mean, that is their job is to think like that too. So it's like that weird. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they're all a bunch of fucking lawyers. Now, the, the first nation to break with the protocols was fascist Italy and their colonial war with Ethiopia, um, which was a state at that point in time. 
Uh, Mussolini's troops dropped mustard gas bombs and mass on Ethiopian villagers in 1935 and 36, killing and wounding more than 15,000 people. Uh, Mussolini's actions were a clear violation of the protocol, but the League of Nations refused to do anything. This would prove to be the last time an international organization failed to take action against a fascist gassing civilians. So that's good. Nice. Never happened again. Never, not, not, not once. Mm-mm. <laughs> now, I can't uh, recall War- any of no, no. Uh, that's what's great about international governance is that it's a thing that really happens. Oh yeah, it's just um, it's not a it's not theater. <laughs> yeah, it's not at all, not at all theater. Okay. Uh, totally a real thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so World War Two uh, wasn't a great time for anybody, um, but one of its few bright spots is that in the European theater, at least, chemical weapons were not deployed. Uh, this did not stop both the Axis and the Allies from manufacturing huge quantities of them, um, and the failure of either side to use chemical weapons was not due to high-minded ideals on anyone's part, but more due to a balance of terror that kept bare minimums of human decency in place in this one specific field of war. Um, I'd like to quote from a Carnegie Council paper on the rise and fall of chemical weapons about this. Quote, While the Allies refined older model gases like phosgene and mustard, the Germans invented a new, far deadlier category of chemical weapons, nerve agents. In one of the greatest intelligence coups of the war, the Nazis successfully kept this development secret from the Allies until their surrender. If they had chosen to use these weapons on Allied troops, they might have altered the course of history. Once again, Germany had its superior chemical industry to thank. Chemists from IG Farben, then one of the world's largest corporations, stumbled on compounds of extraordinary potency while trying to develop potential insecticides for commercial use. What came sarin, tabun, and somen, all nerve gases, which caused the cascading failure of body functions, including the body forgetting to breathe and then rapid death, were developed by German scientists working with their Wehrmacht counterparts. IG Farben, by the way, is Bayer today. So that's cool. That's cool. That's... Yeah, your aspirin's made by the people who invented sarin. Cool. I mean, they know what they're doing. They God. do. You know, I would, I would argue that sarin works better at its intended application than aspirin. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. Know, I can attest to that from what I've seen and experienced. <laughs> but aspirin doesn't do what shit. Do you, yeah. Like when you're work, like as you develop that, did you just go home and your wife's like, well, "How was today?" You're like, "It was intense." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I imagine a lot of scientists like sitting out with a beer, watching the sunset, like staring at their kids playing in the yard, and just like shaking their heads. It's yeah. Like, ah, should ah. I don't think we should have done that. I do not. Oh. <laughs> this might go bad places. This feels like it's going to bite us in the ass. This does. I feel like there's all the best scientists wind up feeling like that at some point. Like we had a whole generation of them on the Manhattan Project who must have just gone home. You get this reading them where they're just sitting around being like, oh boy, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Probably yeah. shouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> yeah, they just know just enough of the. Yeah. Like, I don't think we should do this you get oh okay all right i'm just not yeah. a, okay oh, yeah it's like bad. everybody spreads that oppenheimer like that that anecdote about him reciting that line from the bhagavad-gita i am become death the destroyer of worlds and i feel like when you're talking about when you need to change your career if you feel the need to quote that unironically about what you're doing Maybe you need a new job. Yeah, you're like this is. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're not in the right field. I just, I'm, I feel like I'm in over my head. I'm in over yeah. my head now. I'm gonna. 
I just liked science. That's all I yeah. I just like science. <laughs> I bet his resume was fun. Just like 1943 to 1945, I became Death the Destroyer of Worlds, 1941 to 42. Like, <laughs> you may have heard yeah. about me. Um, you may have heard about me. <laughs> You know the guy who will ultimately be responsible for the end of human civilization? That was my day job. Was, I figured it out. Uh, yeah. It was a so, math problem, uh, and I got it first. Yeah, yeah, I got it right. Yeah. And, ah, damn it. Oh. <laughs> that is, I mean, what most scientists I know, it's the, their whole thing is like, we don't know. So we're just constantly mm-hmm. trying to figure out we, everything. It's like, oh, we don't really know. And mm-hmm. that's what happens is like, you guys keep asking questions, man. You know, it's like doing too many drugs sometimes. You're like, don't go down that hallway, man. Yeah, you're going to go too far and you're not going to be able to come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. at least when people do that on acid, like, it just leads to them following fish around for seven yeah, and, years. Yeah, like, and the military doesn't weaponize it. You're exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yes. not yet. Yeah, they tried. <laughs> That's for sure. They have tried. It's yes. just hard to. So, uh, after World War II, the U.S. and the Soviet Union embarked on a dark and secret arms race to build more varied stockpiles of chemical weapons. And by 1957, the U.S. stockpile of sarin was so vast that we started developing a new series of nerve gases, the V for venomous agents. VX nerve gas is probably the most famous of these. It's three times as toxic as sarin when inhaled, and a thousand times as toxic when absorbed through the skin. Because so, we had too the, much of the other, we got to make it worse. Yeah, that was our. I just yeah. make sure. And this isn't. I forget. This isn't TV. I just threw my hands up and I was like, "Just mm-hmm. Jesus!" I'm like we have too much. Let's just make some more. Yeah. Well, and if you follow the line of thinking there, it's remarkable because, like, in 1945, like we see that the Nazis have like operated the most brutal regime in history, have gassed. 11 million people to death and like the the fastest massacre in the history of human murder and we were like oh and these same people developed the deadliest poison anyone's ever developed i guess let's take it and make more <laughs> yeah like, that's the yeah. <laughs> oh we are so shitty like, like everyone is but even specifically the u.s post-world war ii <laughs> yeah oh we won we're gonna take mm-hmm. everything yeah that is we won the worst people ever designed the worst poison ever. Let's make it. Oh, we've made so much of it that there's no point in us having more. Let's make a deadlier version of it. <laughs> yeah, just in case somebody finds all ours, we'll yeah. get something worse. <laughs> now, <sighs> Billy, you know what isn't a thousand times deadlier than sarin gas? No. The products and services that support this podcast. We don't know that. I do, I do. I can guarantee you that if you if you deploy the products and services that support this podcast against, say, a recalcitrant rebel village, uh, it won't suffocate them. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I, I suspect I am in this case. <laughs> anyway, here is our non-weaponizable products. Services. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. 
and there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. We're back. Okay. So, Billy, we've been talking about poison gas Mm -hmm. a little bit this morning, and that's been fun. Um, And I should probably talk a little bit here about what these chemicals we're talking about do. So, sarin nerve gas basically turns off the off switch for your muscles and nerves, which leads to constant muscle contractions, seizures, uncontrollable convulsion, and exhaustion that can cause respiratory paralysis, which is when your lungs forget to work, and of course, death. But it doesn't turn off your nerves, so you get to feel all No, you're in horrible pain, Um, Oh, yeah, it's that's, terrible. that's a fun one. That's fun. Yeah, it's it, it's good. Motherfuckers. Uh, VX nerve gas works the same way, but at lower doses, and it's much faster. One liter of VX nerve gas contains enough individual doses to kill a million human beings. Whoa. That's... Yeah, that's that's cool. That's helpful. Just... Yeah. You don't need a lot. <laughs> we made it good, so you don't need much. You can kill a million people <laughs> with this much... <laughs> Thanks, and guys. Again, the dudes who did that went home and like watched fireworks with their families. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's amazing. We're gonna leave early. We're gonna leave early. Yeah. Gonna... Well, guys, we made a liter of this shit. Time to go home for the day. This will <laughs> we... kill a million people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it will. So, 
Uh, by the late 1950s, the Soviet Union had also learned how to produce VX nerve gas, and they started making it too. Now, the USSR was, in general, a major distributor of uh, horrific poisons throughout the Cold War. Mm -hmm. They sent a shitload of chemical weapons to Egypt, a nation who today still refuses to sign the Chemical Weapons Convention. In 1963, Egypt deployed phosgene and mustard gas against Yemeni forces. In 1967, they again used nerve gas in Yemen. Many of these weapons were likely supplied directly by the Soviet Union. In the mid-1980s, Saddam Hussein's Iraq began producing its there own we, nerve here gas. Here we come. Yeah. 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 It was deployed extensively throughout the Iran-Iraq war. Now, the U.S. did not approve of any of this directly, no. nor did we directly hand the Iraqi regime VX nerve gas, uh, but we did use our intelligence apparatus to inform Iraq of the position of Iranian military units, knowing full well that Iraq would deploy chemical weapons against them. No way. Um, and then we later used this as a justification for invading them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to quote from a great article in foreign policy quote u.s officials have long uh, denied acquiescing to iraqi chemical attacks insisting that hussein's government never announced he was going to use the weapons but retired air force colonel rick francona who was a military attache in baghdad during the 1988 strikes paints a different picture the iraqis never told us that they intended to use nerve gas they didn't have to we already knew so yeah that's cool yeah so everybody's fine in the Cold War with using chemical weapons. Because it's point cold. Yeah. Chemicals warm people up. It's a Cold War. Come that on, is true, guys. Billy. We're not having a They're... real war. We're just having a like, <laughs> hey, come on. Do something it's chilly. <laughs> warm up with this VX. It It'll does. make your muscles contract. and ex <laughs> That'll warm you up. It makes you sweat. Come on, it's like exercise you know what they that say? you don't have to do. People having fatal seizures are never chilly. Mm -mm. They sweat a lot. Nope. They sweat a lot. Uh, so I brought all of this up as background because the stuff we're about to talk about today, uh, Walter Basson in South Africa, is horrific. But it's important to understand the context of the global chemical uh, warfare industry and its use in the 1970s and 80s. Um, when we start talking about chemical weapons and the nations that use them, it's not a story that has any good guys. But there's definitely bad guys, and Walter Basson is one of the worst. Um, Mr. Basson was born on July 6th, 1950, seven years before the birth of the V-series of nerve gases, and we don't know much about his early life. He grew up around Cape Town and became a cardiologist, and he seems to have excelled in his career. He practiced medicine in the suburbs of that city in the employ of the South African Defense Forces. He eventually rose to the rank of brigadier and became a trusted part of the military medical establishment. Um, so have you ever heard of Rhodesia, Billy Wayne? Maybe. Is it a place so it was, or is it a herb? It's a it's a place. Okay. Um, it was a place. Uh, Rhodesia was essentially a, a call. It's it, like modern day Zimbabwe, um, but back when white people were in charge of it, it was called Rhodesia. Gotcha. Um, now, in the 1960s and 70s, the European powers started to increasingly pull out of their African colonies, and this posed a problem for the parts of Africa that had sizable white populations who had grown up basically controlling large chunks of land and ruling over large numbers of black people. Uh, Rhodesia was named after the arch-colonialist Cecil Rhodes, who will certainly have an episode of his own one of these days. Um, and so for years, there was like this big conflict over Rhodesia. Um, and basically like, actually a lot of our, like the modern military tactics that the U S military uses in Afghanistan and Iraq, like counterinsurgency tactics were invented by the white Rhodesian military to suppress the black population. Cool. We're just, you know, 
taking from yeah. the good and keep doing the good. You know, <laughs> you that's take, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, have you ever heard of Soldier of Fortune magazine? I have. I used to read it when I was little. You know, I didn't understand yeah. what it was. Well, during like the 70s, they would put in ads for the Rhodesian military because Rhodesia would like solicit white people from America and Europe to come and fight as and become like colonial uh, uh, warriors suppressing like the black population. It's super fucked up. The story of Rhodesia is incredibly fucked up. I just um, but I they, know where hmm? we grew up. People were like, y'all, you <laughs> can go over. You can go over there and get to shoot people. You can kill them. And they pay Not you. racist there. <laughs> it's fine. It was. I saw it in an ad. It was in Soldier of Fortune magazine. Saw <laughs> it in the back of a magazine. You can go over and kill people, and it's okay. All the best militaries advertise in the back of a magazine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so the Rhodesian uh, struggle for, I don't know, colonial domination, um, ended in the early 1970s in defeat and with the establishment of the nation of Zimbabwe. (laughs) We ran Um, out of racist Americans. (laughs) We did. We ran out of racists. (laughs) Y'all win, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) You have your country Um, back. So that left just one power in Africa fighting for white supremacy. Obviously, South Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the badly outnumbered white population of South Africa managed to maintain power via a brutal police state and oppressive laws that made Jim Crow look still pretty bad, but but less bad. Uh, that's not the best way to frame it. It was even worse than Jim Crow, is what I'm saying about the apartheid state. Yeah, you in don't want to be. You don't want to have that argument either way. We're like, hey, we're not that. Yeah. Well, it was like you 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 take the most racist people in America and you make them more racist, and that was the government of South Africa in the mid nineteen seventies. Like, or maybe not more racist, but with more power to be racist is probably a better way to frame it. Because mm-hmm. I suspect a lot of racists in America in this period would have done what the South African government did, but they just weren't allowed to. But they didn't. They didn't have the internet to like, you know, motivate them. Be like, oh, they're getting it done down there. Damn we it. could be more racist. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I knew we wasn't doing enough. So, uh, in the mid-1970s, South Africa got involved in a civil war in Angola, fighting on the side of anti-communist rebels. And this was a very complicated conflict, but the gist of the story is that South Africa believed that the cause of white supremacy was best served by supporting the United States and its allies in the Cold War. So they backed the anti-communist side in the civil war in Angola. Yeah, you can make of that what you will. <laughs> So Cuba came in on the side of the pro-communist Angolan government, and in short order, South African soldiers found themselves wildly outnumbered and outmaneuvered by the Cuban army um, and their, you know, forces in the Angolan army. Uh, They were forced to withdraw from the country, but before that happened, they captured a handful of Cuban military vehicles. Inside them, they found a variety of gas antidotes and gas masks. This convinced the South African defense forces that Cuban soldiers were preparing to use chemical weapons against them. Now, it's possible that this never happened. Everything I'm telling you now is based on war crimes trials conducted in the mid-1990s. But the South African military establishment claims that fears of Cuban chemical weapons is what drove them to start developing their own chemical weapons program. So, yeah. Now, 
one thing I should note in terms of like determining whether or not this is true and whether or not they thought there was a really real military threat that inspired them to make chemical weapons is that right around the same time their war with Angola went to shit, the powers that be in South Africa also felt control of the domestic situation in their country slipping through their hands. Um, see, at this point in South Africa, white South Africans basically held all political power in the country despite making up only a small percentage of the population. Under Prime Minister B.J. Vorster, throughout the mid-1970s, economic growth plummeted, urban crowding grew worse, and it became increasingly clear to everyone that the black majority of the country was increasingly less willing to take this kind of shit. Yeah. In 1976, after the last South African troops left Angola, students in the Soweto township of Johannesburg protested against the mandatory teaching of Afrikaans in school. Now, Afrikaans is like a white, kind of like mm-hmm. i think it's a descendant of like german or in dutch and stuff like it's it's the language that the white people in south africa speak and black people in south africa were not happy at being forced to learn a foreign occupier language um why as not you might imagine <laughs> it's truly mystifying billy <laughs> normally people love being forced to learn the language that the people who regularly shoot them speak why, be a why fun are you episode, guys being Billy? rude about this? Just learn our yeah. language. Why don't you want to learn our language? Is it the shooting you? Is, <laughs> is that why you don't want to learn our language? It's because it's this is your country and we came here? Is that why? Are you <laughs> you got to let that go, dude. You got to let that... <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Soweto uprisings were put down by white police with live rounds. Uh, they killed a number of school children and it sparked an international incident. Mm-hmm. Um so, obviously, the late 1970s was not a great time for racial awareness uh, in the West, but things had progressed enough that black school children being mowed down by white cops did not play well. And since South Africa's political position was precarious at best, they really needed the support of Western nations. Um, the head of their defense force, General Constant Viljean, later testified that the diplomatic backlash convinced the government that such bloodshed had to be prevented. So it, quote, focused the attention of the military on the need to develop alternative crowd control agents. So this is what starts uh, them on the road to developing chemical weapons, as they're like, boy, it looks bad when we just shoot people. <laughs> we need an alternative crowd control. We need an alternative to shooting people. It's just no, the way they phrase those words, alternative <laughs> yeah. crowd control. What's that mean? We can't shoot them yeah. anymore. Okay. So gases seem like a good call, because you can't see those so well on a camera. <laughs> yeah, what if we just put like in, invisible stuff that gets in their bodies and kills them that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically the thinking. So after Soweto, the South African defense establishment becomes convinced that a total strategy is necessary in order to defend the country from the unrest that was increasingly sweeping the nation. I feel like By it might be our fault to start with, but we're going to have to do something awful about it. Now there's all this unrest. We got to do something about it. Well, let's, let's try to do the worst thing imaginable about it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's basically where this goes. <laughs> So, in 1981, the South African government orders Brigadier Walter Basson, a young military cardiologist, to travel abroad and learn about the chemical and biological weapons programs of the Western world. Why, now, a, Walter, why a cardiologist? Yeah, I guess because he was just the, the best evil doctor they had. Like, they looked at all the doctors in the military and were like, you're the evilest? Oh, yeah, they <laughs> That's looked my at guess. their psychological I don't know how you report, that. and they're like, this motherfucker is hollow inside. Let's get him yeah. to <laughs> There is nothing behind this man's <laughs> yes, eyes. Like, like, have you talked to him? <laughs> he's good at stuff, but I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, Woter, and his name is, I think, W-O-T-E-R. Um, so I'm not Wooter. I'm, I, it seems more like Walter, which is why I think I've called him that a couple of times. But but Wooter, Wooter. we'll call him Wooter. Wooter was uh, 30 years old at this point, and he took to his task with all the enthusiasm you'd expect of a young wunderkind given the chance to embark on an unprecedented project. Project Coast, as it was named, grew into one of the most ambitious and sinister weapons projects in human history. Its goals, if not its ends, may have even eclipsed the Manhattan Project in horrifying scale. So we don't fully know where Basson traveled in order to learn the tools of his new deadly trade. The evidence we have shows he visited a dizzying variety of different destinations. A Congress on Chemical and Biological Weapons in San Antonio in May of 1981. A visit to Taiwan to see their chemical weapons factories that same year. He made trips to Denmark, Switzerland, and he spent more than four weeks in the Russian Academy of Sciences in Moscow. We know he spent time working with British intelligence, and it's impossible for us to say exactly how much help or what precise sort of help these different nations provided, but it's fair to say that both sides of the chemical weapons industry, Soviet and uh, and Western, um, contributed knowledge to Woder's like, later developments. So that's yeah. cool, right? It Everybody does... came together. Yeah, it's like how, if you, I don't know if you've ever been to a gun show, like, at yeah. a, like a fairground. It is like... Oh, all the time. I know you have. I, uh, this is more <laughs> for the people, but... What always makes me laugh is like it's people that hate each other. It's like base. A gun show is like base where they go get their weapons and then they go fight each other outside. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun actually. <laughs> it is uh, great. It's the same yeah. thing going to gun rages and like seeing the different political patches on people's like bags and stuff and being like, Oh, you all <laughs> like a couple of bad years and you'll be using those on each other. <laughs> yeah. But you can't do it here yet. <laughs> Not yet, not yet. We know who you're picturing when you put those targets up. (laughs) (laughs) So throughout the late 1980s and early 1990s, Basson developed a shocking array of conventional chemical and biological weapons for South Africa. He designed rifle grenades, mortar bombs, and artillery shells with biological weapons capacity. Now, this was all pretty conventional within the dark standards of the arms industry at the time, but Basson quickly went beyond preparing South Africa's conventional forces for a shooting war that just involved chemical weapons. See, around the same time Project Coast started, the South African Special Forces launched Operation Barnacle. This was an action spearheaded by white former Rhodesian security operators to assassinate enemies of the apartheid government. Wouter Basson wound up at the heart of this enterprise, too. His goal in it was to clamp down on the Southwest African People's Organization in Namibia, a group the South African government considered terrorists, but most people would probably call freedom fighters. Here's how The Guardian described what Wouter Basson helped his government do to uh, the SWAPO is the acronym, the South African, Southwest African People's Organization. I think SWAPO's fun. <laughs> Quote, particular favorites of his were muscle relaxants, which, when given to victims in large doses, caused their lungs to collapse and induced suffocation. Mother the charge sheet fucker. alleges that around 1980, Basson provided the toxins to kill 200 Namibian SWAPO guerrillas fighting for independence from South Africa. An aircraft was purchased for the purpose of disposing bodies in the sea. Ah. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's fun stuff. Like, he's just like, oh, you think, like, he watches people be like, okay, man, that's terrible. He's like, just wait. It gets, it's yeah. getting good. And they're like, no, 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 we're good. And he's like, no, no, I just crack my knuckles. We're just now. Then we get an airplane and we dump their bodies in the ocean. Right? You guys got to throw now, up? Okay. Billy, you know who won't 
poison freedom fighters to death and dump their bodies in the ocean. Doritos. Probably, well, actually, they, they're they owned by, I think, Frito-Lay, and I suspect well, Frito-Lay absolutely would do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Or Conagra yeah. Foods. Yeah, you're right. I'm with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know who won't are the products and services that support this show. Yes. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. So, uh, Billy, when we when we left off, we talked about uh, how Bassin provided toxins that shut down the lungs uh, of, of Swapo gorillas, and then they would throw them into the sea from helicopters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to continue quoting from that Guardian article. It just sort of what things uh, Wotu Bassin got involved with as part of this uh, operation to clamp down on an independence movement. Quote, Bassin supplied quantities of tuberine and scoline, muscle relaxants, which in overdose would cause suffocation. Bassin requested feedback about the effectivity of these substances, the indictment reads. Dr. Jack Bothma, an orthopedic surgeon who fled to Canada, is expected to testify that he handcuffed five men to trees and rubbed a poison gel into their bodies on the orders of Bassin, who is allegedly experimenting with new means of killing people. When it failed to have the desired result, the men were murdered with muscle relaxants. Bothma has turned state's evidence in return for immunity from prosecution for the murders. His license to practice in Canada was recently revoked after he failed the qualification exam. In many cases, the naked bodies of the victims were dumped at sea from a plane. Bassin is alleged to have sometimes gone along for the ride. On other occasions, the corpses were disposed of in blast furnaces or shallow graves. So that's great. God. 
Yeah, so what you God. get from that, this is obviously, there were trials about this later, which we'll talk about, but this is a guy who, number one, he's charged with helping South African special forces clamp down on this this black liberation movement, basically. And he, he it's not enough for him to just help them kill people. Like, he's, he's a scientist. He's always experimenting. So he's testing out new drugs on these people to, like, see what works well. And there's, like, a kind of a perverse... Like, like that, I guess I can understand is sort of like a sociopathic, like he's a scientist, he's yes. going to experiment with shit. The writing along to watch the corpses get thrown into the sea, that is like, okay, this is beyond just like a soulless monster. Like this guy gets some sort of enjoyment. There is a pleasure too. out of, yeah. Well, to me, yeah. To me, what made it seem pleasurable is the, the lungs collapsing. Yeah, that's he's like, really focused on that. That is a that is a thing where it's like, oh, you're gonna live and know you're gonna know you're dying. You're gonna. It's like you're drowning. Yeah. In in the like you're just drowning outside the water, which is awful. And it's like there's also clearly um like you think about it from a tactical standpoint, and the only reason to use chemical weapons for this is to f- freak people out. Is mm-hmm. like the fear is to like scare them away from rebelling, because like you could you if you just are trying to kill insurgents, you you can shoot them. Yeah, like you can execute people. That's works very well, and it's less horrible. Um, so like there there's a, an an element of sadism present in like the whole South African military establishment, where it's yes. like. We're, these black people are n- not happy being ruled by us, and we have to make we have to scare the shit out of them while we kill them. Um, yeah, it's fun stuff, fun story. Thanks for sitting it's here and talking to be with me here. about it today. It's it always yeah. it's nice. Always about. a pleasure. But yeah. it is important that we talk about stuff like this because it's like Jesus. Yeah, it's Stop it's doing wild that to each other. Yes. Yeah. And where it, where this story goes is pretty wild. So, under no Basson's direction, <laughs> <laughs> under Basson's direction, South African operators used poison to kill several hundred people all over the world. Not all of his victims were insurgents in Africa. Some of them were murdered in the UK. And MI5 later investigated at least six people who died of suspicious strokes and heart attacks, possibly as a result of Project Barnacle. So they're not just murdering, like, people who have taken up arms against them. They're killing, like, activists around the world. People who are, like, a danger to the apartheid regime. So that's cool. Well, they've learned from other regimes that turned into empires and... You know. Yeah, yeah, and they all do it. Yeah, we all do it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Basson traveled over the world throughout the late 1980s and early 90s, seemingly irrespective of the sanctions leveled against his nation. He attended conferences and spoke to chemical weapons experts in the U.S., Israel, and all across Western Europe, often while his agents were using his weapons to kill people in those countries. So that's really neat. Uh, nobody stops this guy from traveling around to learn how to make better chemical weapons, even though, like, multiple nations that he traveled to had sanctions against South Africa for its racism. Well, they so wanted nice. to learn from yeah. the best. You think it might have been a two-way street? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was cool. like, oh, without a doubt, they are like, all right, he's We'll good. tell you some shit, but you've been practicing a lot, and we want to learn some things from <laughs> yeah. you. How'd you do that? Yeah, you get... 
Yeah. <laughs> you get that feeling. Yeah. And again, like, there's no way for there to be any evidence of that for me. Like, I can't say that happened, but like, fuck, you look into this guy's story, and I am certain there were some sketchy motherfuckers and like the CIA and the Mossad and MI5 probably even who were like, yeah, we'll let him into the country. We want to hear what he's got to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, what does, yeah. what kind of, is he like vegan? What's he like? <laughs> yeah. What does he want for lunch? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I assume that's how the, all that works, where at some point, everything gets so confusing, you're just like, yeah, I mean, we're just learning how to do stuff. We don't know who's yeah. a friend and who's not. Yeah, there's a, a great musician named Tom Lehrer, who was like the, the Weird Al Yankovic of like the 50s and 60s. I think he's a math professor at Harvard now, um, but he was like an early musical funny man. And he wrote a song about Werner von Braun, who designed V2 rockets for the Nazis and then was instrumental in the U.S. space program. And there's a line in it that I think really sums up all of these people very well. Um, when the rockets go up, who knows where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner von Braun. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I think a lot of these people are like that. It's like, yeah, he's killing people in our country too, but like, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. My problem is developing better chemical weapons. Yeah. And he's <laughs> good at it. So yeah, he's really good at this shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So under Basson's direction, the apartheid government of South Africa developed a dizzying array of biological weapons, Ebola, E. coli, necrotizing fasciitis, anthrax, and botulinum. That last one deserves a bit of special discussion. See, botulinum, which is like, if you have, a, if you have like a can that starts puffing up, like you got to get rid of that thing very carefully because it has botulin in it. Um, and botulinum is like one of the deadliest things by weight in this planet. Um, it's what we use in Botox treatments and mm-hmm. very uh, diluted measures. Um, but in slightly less diluted form, it can kill people by the thousands. Uh, Basson's team is alleged to have synthesized roughly five grams of botulinum, which is enough to murder five million people. Cool. So that's cool. You can see, like, the scale of deadliness, though. You develop this, like, VX nerve gas, which a, a, a leader can kill a million people. And Basson develops this botulinum toxin that, like, the, five grams can kill five million people. Yeah. Um, cool how science works like that. Well, and it's like, competitive. Thing- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone's trying to beat each other. It's like, yeah. oh, they got a million people with a leader? We can, we can kill more people with less than that. And meaner. Yeah. Meaner, too. And it's... It's the same thing like with your phones where it's like we were all marveled at how quickly phones got smaller and faster, but like the same thing happens with murder poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so Basson helped to direct but not the assassination. cures. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It, it is wild that we have, we're way slower on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. So, Basson helped to direct assassination attempts against a number of African National Congress activists in London, which was like a, a, a group, you know, advocating for like more racial justice and reform of the apartheid system in South Africa. Uh, he was behind the assault of at least two members of the ANC in London. Uh, he developed a special poison that was launched via a syringe described as a screwdriver. The only reason that the plot to kill these guys failed is that the scientist who tried to do the deed fucked up and almost stabbed himself instead. Then he panicked and threw the screwdriver into the Thames. So, so that uh, one didn't work. Yeah. 
Basson was involved in at least one attempt on the life of Nelson Mandela while he was a prisoner. Uh, Wutu developed a way to slip thallium, a toxic heavy metal that basically melts your brain, into Mandela's medication. Uh, these attempts failed, but for his gallantry, Wutu Basson was awarded the Order of the Southern Cross, which even sounds like a racist. It, I was going to say, it was just like, <laughs> that sounds like the most, it's, it's like the most racist award yeah. of all time. It's the Southern yeah. Cross. You're like, uh, go. I don't like it. Yeah, it's like what we get, we got to come up with an uh, an award for racists, but we want to make it sound even more racist than the Iron Cross. Anybody got suggestions? Oh, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just call it Southern? What if we call it the Southern <laughs> Iron Cross of Alabama? <laughs> now, Nelson Mandela was released in 1990. In 1992, the ANC was unbanned in the face of massive unrest. Suddenly, the cause of black people having basic rights was legally legitimate in South Africa. Got hip all the shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, so basically, yeah. the ANC had been like a terrorist group um, prior to this. And like ANC members had definitely done some terrorism in South Africa, although it's terrorism in a pretty fundamentally justifiable cause, I yeah. would argue. But yeah, and after 1992, the ANC is like a legal political party, and the cause of black people having basic rights was like legally legitimate to fight for in South Africa. Now, as you might imagine, Wouter Basson was not happy with this, uh, and he responded by spearheading a plan to distribute poisoned beer to black people at bus stops. So that's good. Stop, stop them from voting if you poison their beer. What the fuck? <laughs> He's a real piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah. Now, as I relate these stories, I don't want to discount the role of the South African government or military establishment in any of this, just because we're focusing on Wouter. Um, his work enjoyed a broad base of support among the powers that be in his unspeakably shitty government. His work was directed and approved at high levels and supported by a variety of less technically sophisticated methods of repression. Some as simple as just guys with truncheons beating protesters. But Wouter Basson was a unique man within the South African military and medical establishments. He did eventually go to trial for his many, many crimes, and because of that trial, we have some knowledge of the extent of those crimes. Johan Theron, one of the operators who worked for Basson, admitted personally to the murder of several hundred Swapo prisoners, along with South African defense soldiers identified as security risks, so they even killed soldiers in their own military. Multiple different government agencies managed Basson's chemical weapons project over the decade or so that he was active. In the late 1980s, as resistance to the apartheid regime picked up, Basson's work increasingly focused on poisoning members of the African National Congress, the South African Communist Party, and the South African Council for Churches. Uh, anyone who voiced displeasure with apartheid was subject to poisoning. The testing process for these poisons was as horrific as you'd imagine. The Rudplatt Research Laboratory, where most of this work was done, conducted numerous experiments on dogs and horses. In one study, they poisoned baboons to death over the course of several days. So that's ah. cool. Yeah. But of course, the killing of individuals could only go so far, and Wouter Basson knew that. By the late 1980s, the situation was dire enough for the government that they knew some sort of mass solution to the problem of black people wanting rights was necessary. Now, it was accepted that there were too many black people in South Africa to kill. This was not a moral question. Many people in the government likely would have supported mass murder, but they simply did not have the technical capacity to do so. We Logistically, it'll be a nightmare, you guys. We just yeah. can't. We just, we don't have enough bullets. We just can't make it work. Yeah. So let's let them yeah. live. Well, Good Lord. That's they a do decide that they had they, in a room like we're sitting. Yeah. In. Yeah. We, we have to let most of them live. Mm -hmm. But, Billy, 
they didn't have to let most of them continue to have babies. And this is where Wouter Bassin comes in again. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So under Bassin, the South African military establishment embarked on a different scheme, an anti-fertility vaccine. Oh, God. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) I mean, can't you just see some of the dingbats in the United States being like, oh, you want abortions? Is that what you want? We'll give you an abortion. We'll give you one for life. And you're like, that's just what? No. That's... Yeah. Yeah. So fully 18% of the projects Bassin masterminded during his time in the military were focused on what were referred to as fertility and fertility control studies. Scientists under Bassin later testified that they understood they were developing a vaccine which would be administered to black women without their knowledge or consent in order to render them infertile. Damn it. Yes. Now, the initial goal of Bassin and his fellow scientists was to develop a vaccine that would only work on black women. This obviously proved to be impossible because black women are genetically the same as any other kind of women, and it just doesn't, things don't work that way. It's impossible to target people by skin color in that way. So it's interesting to me, Billy, that like these incredibly racist scientists start out by wanting to make a vaccine that will render black women infertile, and they realize that because black women are the same as every other kind of woman, they can't do it. And this doesn't lead them to, like, realize, like, oh, maybe this racism is based on nothing. Oh, Um, science says we're stupid. Science says what we're doing is idiotic. But no, they they never at any point. That can't be. That science is wrong about that. We're smart. Yeah. So they were rational enough to accept that their plan of a vaccine to render black women infertile would not do anything, but they refused to give up on their plan of stopping black people from having sex. Well, at least from having babies. And so things evolved. Uh, so one of like the scientists who worked under Bassin later testified, as I've alluded to a few times, and one of them, a dude named Van Rinsberg, claimed the effort started back in 1985. Um, and he said he was told that the project initially existed at the request of Jonas Savimbi, the Angolan anti-communist rebel leader and Paul Manafort client who was allied with South Africa. There we go. Uh, the story goes that Savimbi was concerned that his female fighters would get pregnant and wanted an anti-fertility vaccine. This is widely believed to be complete horseshit mm-hmm. designed to provide plausible deniability to the scientists so basically scientists were like it seems maybe like fucked up that we're trying to render all black people infertile and if there's ever a war crimes trial we're getting trouble and so their leadership was like no it's not to it's it's for this guy's female soldiers he just doesn't want them getting pregnant in battle he needs them because when they get pregnant they can't do murder as good exactly that's a better excuse yeah, and it's like most of the scientists that were like talked to were like, yeah, we knew that was horseshit. Like it was, <laughs> you give people a little bit of plausible deniability, and that that's all it was. So the nonproliferation organization has a good write up of the ensuing court case that includes an interview with one of Bassin's men, and I'm going to quote from it now. Of course, the scientists did not believe the cover story. Van Rinsburg testified that he could not think that an intelligent man could think we would spend a couple million on a project like this to control pregnancy in a few of Savimbi's female soldiers. Nonetheless, the project got underway and became central to work at the research laboratories. After the fall of the apartheid government, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission was convened to investigate the unspeakable crimes the white government had committed against its black citizens. And this is where, like, all of our interviews from this come from. One of Bassin's employees, a guy named Goosen, gave fascinating detail into the plan. The interviewer was a fellow named Jerome Chaskleton. So Chaskleton said... 
uh, it was decided that a front company would be formed. Uh, and he was asked, can you tell us what brief that you were given for what this front company was? Uh, and Goosen said, our final brief or the other brief was a very important one was to develop a project to curtail the birth rate of the black population in the country. So Goosen was asked to give more detail on this. And he said, the person who instructed us or asked us to do this was Dr. Basson. Um, there was a lot of talk on the ethics of this. And Basson spent some time quoting to us the census figures of 1982 or 81 or whenever the census was. I can't remember exactly that the census office stopped counting the black people when they reached 45 million. And the government decided that it was not feasible to make it known to the public that there were 45 million blacks. It was just too many. And this was mainly one of our big threats. And I think the figure of 28 million was made known. Now, if those were true facts, I wouldn't know. Up Till today, I don't know, but that was presented to us by Dr. Basson. So basically, Basson's scientists are like, we feel a little bit questionable about this. And one of the things they're told is that you're working to sterilize these gorillas, but they're also told that like there's twice as many black people in the country as the government's willing to admit on the official census forms. So like if we don't solve this problem of black people breeding soon, we're going to be outnumbered and overwhelmed. Um, or like completely overwhelmed. So like this is like the scientists being told this are both simultaneously being told you're not trying to sterilize all the black people and also given evidence that like we have to sterilize all the black people right away or we're fucked. So it's yeah, wild. I like the arbitrary numbers too, like 45 stop yeah, counting. That's too stop high. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. Don't count anymore. We can't tell, tell them it's 28. 28 yeah. is fine. Yeah. And Goosen later testified, based on conversations he had with different South African generals, uh, that he thought the anti-fertility project was considered by the government to be the most important project for the country. So, like, as a general rule, um, like, the anti-fertility project, when you, like, read stories about Bassin and his work, is portrayed as, like, one horrible project among others, um, and generally, like, less awful than the nerve gases and assassination drugs he made. Um, and I don't think that's fair because I, the, the reality, once you like dig into the documents, is that um, Basson and his colleagues, like what they were trying to do with these drugs was attempted genocide. Um, like their their goal here was yeah. to wipe out the black population of South Africa. They just wanted to do it more peacefully than with gunfire. Um, it's like it's pretty staggering. And do it silently. Yeah, silently and like in a way that people don't realize it's happening because you're yeah. secretly dosing people with this anti-fertility drug. Like that's that's the plan that's being made here. Um, Goosen later testified by the government, by the government. Yeah, to sterilize forty-five million people or so. Yeah. Uh, one thing I can remember, which we spoke about, was the effectivity then of the product which needed to be developed, whether it is 100% permanent sterilization or whether it's temporary or whether it's 80% effective. You know how these things work. In fact, we discussed involving uh, with t statisticians from the university and we discussed getting them secret clearance that they can work on the project for us to work out models. What will be the influence on population rate if the project was 50% effective for one year, 60, 70, whatever? Uh, so we realized that you cannot really, you might not achieve 100% effective sterilization, and it was not thought to be necessary. So he's, they're, they're saying, like, maybe we only stop 70% of them from breeding, is what he's saying. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like they, 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 it's, but like, those are the numbers they're looking at. Like, this is a real effort to stop two-thirds or more, as many people as possible from breeding, as many black people as possible from breeding. And I, I think that that rises to the level of an attempted genocide. Yeah. Like 70, 80% sterilization. Like, you know, the, the, the Holocaust wiped out like roughly half of the world's Jewish population. So you're talking about the goal 
was something that would have led to an even sharper decline in the population of South African black people. Like, that was the end goal of this. It was a much slower project, but, like, that's what they're shooting for, 70 80%. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's like they're, they're, they had a discussion where they're like, well, I mean, the Nazis were just, like, too loud and efficient about it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you can't kill them as fast as they did. That'll so, get you in trouble. Yeah, people get like real mouthy when you do it like that. So you got to just do it. We'll like, get invaded. But if we can stop 80% of them from having babies, well then, yeah, God. pretty wild. Yeah. So thankfully, the anti-fertility vaccine was never distributed in mass, uh, and we have very little data on how it was tested. But we do know that the program was wound down in the early 1990s when President F.W. de Klerk was elected and the death knell of apartheid was obvious enough for even people like Basson to hear. The new president ordered Project Coast to be gradually killed off, but he was not willing to give up on the dream of pacifying South Africa's black masses for domination by the white minority. Instead of sterilization or mass poisoning, though, President de Klerk started funding a a kinder and gentler method of social control. He wanted Basson to test the use of quaaludes and MDMA to pacify the restless population. Eh. So that's that's nice. Okay. Hey, be- it is better. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might, might, yeah. Everyone's going to get along, be a little looser. If it was for everyone in the country, I would say that's a great plan. Um, the racism is what ruins. Oh, it, it's and, just, oh, yeah. I see. Okay, I missed that part. No, God, they oh, were just giving them to black people to stop oh. them from wanting their rights. No, no, you thought they were just giving lewds to everybody. Yeah, unfortunately, no. That's fucking no. Cool. You know yeah, I mean? if it was just like the army helicoptering quaaludes and MDMA to everybody, like I'm fine with that project. That's yeah. a good use of the military. But no, this was racist. Very racist. Yeah, they always yeah. there's always a catch. Yeah. So uh, a scientist named Henny Jordan um, at a company that acted as a front for Project Coast is generally credited as the person who came up with the formula for what may have been the very best MDMA ever synthesized. Most sources suggest that it was over 95% purity, which is pretty exceptional. Now, I can't say for certain whether or not I or you uh, ever took this particular strain of ecstasy, um, but like it's one of those things I started going through like my memories of the best ecstasy experiences I had in the early two thousands and like wondering like, yeah, that was a really good batch. Was that, was that the genocide ecstasy? Mm. Um, cause this stuff was initially cooked up as a crowd control this drug. They wanted to this dose. Got, this got really sad, really fast. Yeah. It's real bad. Um, yeah. This was initially cooked up. They wanted to basically dose millions of black people with MDMA to, like, stop them from revolting and stuff. But how were, what was their delivery device? Well, I don't think they ever got that far. Because, like, they start, they cook up a huge amount of MDMA, but I don't think they ever really figure out, like, how to distribute it to people. Um, And then the government shuts down the project before they can dose anyone with it. So they just have a big old tank of MDMA. Yeah. Yeah, so they have millions of doses of MDMA and no longer a government who's willing to, like, let them use it for anything. Um, And they kind of, Basson and his colleagues, all kind of decide that they should use it to fund their retirements. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the worst thing they've ever done. Yeah, it's definitely not, like, I prefer them selling ecstasy to people to have for fun than murdering people. Yeah, and genocide, doing a a quiet genocide is not as... 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the data we have suggests that, like, at some point, uh, the priority, like, before the program got shut down entirely, but when they knew that Project Coast was going to get shut down completely, Basson and his colleagues stopped producing drugs for, like, crowd control purposes and started producing drugs to sell on the black market. Um, and what we know is that the bulk of the millions of doses of MDMA that Basson's labs cooked up wound up sold in Europe, India, and the United States. Um, wow. So they just are like, we've only got a year or two left before the government shuts this lab down completely. Let's manufacture and sell as much ecstasy as we possibly can so that we can retire, uh, which is cool. What were they do? supposed to be doing in that lab? I don't, I think it was, you know, it's a government project. So I think that like, it became clear that they weren't going to do anything with the research before the gov- the project actually got shut down. So no one was watching. They were just like, we're just here for like seven more months. Yeah. How much E can we make? Yeah. That's but cool. when we, yeah, where usually when government workers are like, all right, vacation starts now. They're like, well, now we can finally get to work and make some money. Yeah. Here. yeah that's We funny. can get paid now. We didn't succeed in genocide, but we can sell a lot of ecstasy. But we can get people pretty fucked up. So, So, um, yeah, obviously, like, this is not the kind of thing you would ever have expected to have much detail about. And I do wish we had more. But, like, we have a lot of information about, like, all the different things this project was trying to do, which is weird, right? It's a special, like, a secret special forces plan for genocide. You wouldn't expect the South African government to have kept any files on this shit. Um, And, in fact, they didn't. So, are you wondering how all this information got out? Yeah. It's because Dr. Basson was a dumb shit. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... The government, when the apartheid regime fell, the government ordered all of the drugs cooked up as a result of these schemes and all the evidence of what they'd done in Project Coast destroyed. But Dr. Basson didn't do this. So obviously they continued like manufacturing narcotics for profit. Um, But he also kept all of his files on the project, probably as like an insurance scheme Mm -hmm. because he was afraid that the government was going to betray him and he wanted to have evidence that other people had been involved. He's like, listen, I don't trust you guys because of that time you made me try to kill all the black people. (laughs) You guys are genociders. I don't like. (laughs) I feel like you kill me pretty easy. So Basson keeps all of the private files for this genocide scheme in his house. And while he's keeping this shit in his house, he's personally, like, hand-to-hand selling millions of doses of ecstasy to drug dealers. Jesus, he's (laughs) He's, doing all that. He's doing a lot of the sales. Yeah, he's a a hands-on fella. (laughs) (laughs) So... One of the guys buying drugs from Basson in this period is Grant Wintzel, uh, who is a commodities broker from Johannesburg who also sold ecstasy on the side. And he's one of the guys that Basson is selling to. And in 1997, Wintzel is busted by the cops. And uh-huh. you know he agrees to roll over on his source. Yep. And they set him up with a wire and run him through a couple of deals to test his connections. And then they realize, like, as they're, like, studying this guy, they realize that one of his connections is a kind of inexplicably wealthy cardiologist who lives in the city um, and who seems to be the source of his drugs. Um, And, of course, it turns out that this cardiologist is Wouter Basson. Is he still practicing cardiology, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have a cover, man. I guess so. 
fascinating. Maybe he likes it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that so is I'm, what he got into originally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go back to go back to basics. You know, it's the one of those things, you know, your career falls apart, you know, for most of us it's because the industry changed or, you mm-hmm. know, something like that rather than a genocide plan failing, but you go back to basics, you know, <laughs> and you also start selling E. Yeah. I feel like that's identifiable. <laughs> yeah, that's it's pretty smart actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Vice has a fun article on the bust that caught Basson and I'm going to quote from that now. A white Nissan Sentra pulls up to Wintzel's car. Its occupant gets out and pops the trunk, pulling out a trash bag. Ellers and three other officers, these are South African police officers, recognize him immediately. Dr. Wouter Basson, the man the media would later dub Dr. Death for his alleged crimes in apartheid-era South Africa. Basson gives the bag to Wintzel, who hands him an envelope containing 60000 about 55000 U.S. dollars. Basson's cut of the deal had gone down five days earlier when Wintzel had been arrested. So, at this point, Ellers makes his move. Basson tries to flee by ducking cops through the pond, a tactic that ends up slowing him down enough for the cops to catch up and make Mm -hmm. an arrest. The trash bag contained red and black capsules filled with MDMA, MDMA that research chemist Tim McGibbon would testify at Basson's trial was created by a unique synthesis and was more than 95% pure. So, he's not a good drug dealer. He just has a sack of this shit in his trunk that he delivers by hand to a source. Yeah. Um, In a sack. In, like in a, a sack. sack. In a trash bag. Yeah. Because he's like, here's that shit y'all going crazy about. Yeah. It's so like Walter Whitish. A... Yeah, it is, but like dumber. Like White at least gets his, gets like, tries to r- remove himself from the hand-to-hand dealing Yeah, he quick. at least read, yeah, he read some books yeah. about the the business of drugs. Yeah. Homeboy was just like, no, here it is. Look, give me that money. Yeah, why would I care? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he gets arrested, Basson gets arrested in this bus, and of course the cops search his home, which is what the cops are going to do when they catch you trying to sell a full trash bag of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the police find more drugs in his house, but they also find his insurance policy against the old government. The boxes of folders containing the details of his plan to commit genocide and, and all like, of his murders. Woo! I knew that yeah. would come in handy. <laughs> Didn't think it was for this. So, Billy... I'm going to guess we've both had friends arrested for, like, simple marijuana possession, um, some of whom have done time. You would probably expect that when Wouter Basson gets caught with a trash bag of ecstasy and files in his house, like, going into detail about his complicity in hundreds of poison murders and an attempt at genocide, you would guess that would come with sizable jail time, right? Ah, no. Yeah, yeah, you've done enough of these shows. <laughs> so, in 1998-99, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Committee uh, held or commission held a public hearing into the chemical and biological warfare program that Basson had spearheaded. This was the first trial of its kind in history, and it brought out all the information we've discussed in this episode. It was heavily based on the files they'd taken from Basson's house, but it failed to actually punish him for any of his crimes. His official trial started in October of 1999, where he was charged with 67 counts ranging from drug possession and embezzlement to murdering 229 people. Basson called, as the only witness in his defense, 
himself. Yep. He claimed he had learned the secrets of chemical warfare from Saddam Hussein's government in Iraq, which was, at that point, backed up by the U.S. defense establishment, back in, like, the 80s when he was working there. He admitted basically everything we'd talked about today, save the attempted genocide, and was found not guilty on the ground that nothing he'd done had been illegal at the time. So that's cool. I mean... He's not... Yeah. He's not wrong, but also, like, fuck that? Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> so, now a free man, Basson became a popular speaker on the international circuit. He was paid to deliver such headline <laughs> events as Dr. Wouter Basson, a motivational talk from groups like the Kelvin Grove Club, an organization in South Africa that bans Jewish membership. Mm. So that's... He's, he's, he's a hero to some people. Oh, I bet he now, is. Yes. There have been numerous hearings uh, in the years since, as the the some members of the government in South Africa have attempted to punish Wouter Basson for his numerous crimes, uh, and he f- was eventually found guilty of professional misconduct. Um, but none of these trials have resulted in long term charges. In March of 2019, a high court in South Africa found that even those charges were had been made by a biased court, and the results were set aside. Doctor Wouter Basson remains a free and unpunished man to this day. Okay, I don't. So that's like cool. The, uh, yeah, it's super cool that he's, he's just out there because you know he's just chilling. You know he's not doing anything bad. Um, nope. No, not at all. It's not in his nature. But here's my question: as someone that's read history and keeps up with how laws and politics and all that works, uh, what files are they not talking about that he probably had that keeps getting yeah. him out? Of stuff. Like, they they were willing to admit the attempted genocide on South Africa's black population. What did they keep under wraps? Yes. <laughs> that's, the yeah, that's my, when you were saying all that, I'm like, there's stuff in there they're not, because that's, my friend, yeah. They're like, yeah, we did try to kill all the black people. Yes. We didn't try to, we tried to stop them all from breeding. Yes. Because we couldn't kill them all. We, that was, we were, this guy was trying to help us do that, but... Just nothing else. We didn't do anything else. Nothing else. Nothing. Nothing else. There's nothing that's unspeakably and almost unimaginably evil waiting buried in a bunker somewhere in Don't South Africa that Walter Basson invented. Trust ask us. Ask him anything else. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It is, you kind of do think, like, I'm not obviously familiar with the intricacies of South African law, so maybe it is just an understandable technicality and a necessary part of the reconciliation effort that, like, he wasn't It's not what my heart says. That's not what my heart says. Yeah, that's not what my heart says. My heart says they were like, this guy has an other insurance policies waiting, and if he does time, something unspeakable will be revealed. Yeah, and Um, he's smarter than us, so. (laughs) Yeah, he's very smart. Yeah. Not a dumb man. Damn so, it. if you did great ecstasy, like unbelievably good ecstasy in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, maybe. <laughs> like, he made enough that it circulated for a while after he got busted. I mean, he is like a metaphor for every drug dealer. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're like, yeah, I mean, we know. We know what he does, but have you... Have you tried his? Have his, you tr- have you tried his shit? It's <laughs> it's crazy. I know, I know. Yeah, and don't bring your sister around him. But yeah, 
Because he does that thing, yeah. But he's the only guy in three counties that can, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things on like a personal scale. You'll accept the fact that your your drug dealer is like creepy yeah. and like says some like weird things every now and then, and like you don't you wouldn't want to be alone with him or let other friends be alone with him. You like travel in a group to go pick up your shit from yes. his place and, and do and, not like, meet him to, there. Do not meet him. Yeah, no, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like on a on a larger scale, I guess we're willing to accept genocide. I mean, nobody, none of the people buying that ecstasy knew it was genocide ecstasy. No, um, I think but, probably there's some there's some traffickers or distributors that had a clue. Yeah, someone being like, "Where's this shit coming from?" I don't know, South Africa. Ooh. Oh God, <laughs> uh. that's probably not a good story. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like every time I've done cocaine, it's been like, I wonder if someone was shot for this. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. Good. Yes. Yeah. And not even like maybe where you think. It's mm-hmm. like I do. I talk about that like with heroin. Listen, it's awful, but it's also responsible for most of the most amazing music we've ever we've had. And people are like, no. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that the singer of your favorite song, but someone that was working on that album yes mm-hmm. was on heroin someone it someone. helps it helps with music it's not good but it does help so if you're a musician billy's official advice is to pick up some heroin uh sophie are we sponsored no, by heroin no not just a musician a incredibly talented musician that has not yeah. like broken through yet but don't get addicted no and no. Should we everything. edit that last part? I don't know. I do it on live shows. Sometimes I do say that, but it's a live show, <laughs> so they can't. <laughs> you know what, though, we can say about heroin. It was not manufactured by Wouter Basson. That we know about. I don't know. That we that we know about. That yeah. in fact, it very like. I mean, I guess it's easier. Like I think Basson, like you don't need a doctor to to make your heroin, right? No. No, you like, just need that. I, I think people hook, cook it in their living rooms pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. From yep. what I've seen on Nat Geo Channel, that's where that's where it comes from. Yeah. So yeah, he's sixty nine years old. Uh, he's probably. I just I just think that's. I like to imagine that's how he's just living, like just a sixty nine year old raven. Day and night. Yeah. I think so he he's... has like a pet gerbil and also does that dance all day. But definitely has a pet gerbil. I think he goes to Ibiza a couple times a year. Just like, with his pet gerbil. <laughs> I don't know why I picked it. You feel good? That's because of me. Right? I honestly If think you've danced a with a raci- racist South African cardiologist at Ibiza, uh, it was it was Wooter Basson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder if he ever did ecstasy. I don't like I, the way he was delivering it in the bag is hilarious to me. Should I, yeah, uh, Robert, should I, old... show, should I show should I show what he looks like? To oh yeah, yeah, he because lo- he looks like the lobotomy doctor actually. This is why I said I think he has a pet gerbil based on his face. Oh, yeah, you kind of see it, right? Yeah, see, he's got a pet gerbil. Yeah, I, he looked way cooler in my head. He's not cool. No, he's not that cool. No, he's no, he looks like cool. he makes. You know what? He looks like he makes sarin gas and shit. Yeah, yeah, he does, right? Yeah, he does. 
He doesn't look like, and he looks like he makes MDMA out of spite. I don't like his face. I'm just going to put it out there. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like he's not trying to get laid. Maybe by his gerbil. Yeah, that's true. Sorry to gerbils everywhere. Yeah, and he looks like someone that. (laughs) Young photo of him winking. Yeah, he rides in the plane to watch the bodies get dumped out. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, he does look. I don't. (sighs) I don't enjoy his face. I like that my mind goes to like a softer person, but that's not who he is. Just trying to give him the benefit Mm -hmm. of the doubt. I do like that. I would love to see the footage of him getting busted, though, with that sack of pills. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I want to see him like running from the cops because you know it was hilarious and he was really bad at yes, it. Yes. Um, no, yeah, there's not in him. Yeah. Uh-uh. Like, it's amazing for how smart this guy is that he would be like, well, but I'm going to keep all of my genocide files unprotected in my in my home along with piles of illegal drugs. This seems like a good idea. Well, he <laughs> like, does seem very unfamiliar with drug culture. And with crime. Yeah, I think it's because he was doing all these horrible things for years, and he was being supported by the government, so he never worried about it at all. Yeah, it's all very structured, and and there's like an email and memos involved. It's not like, hey, meet me in a park, and we're going to make a rocket. Yeah, there's a real learning curve to, to, to crime. And while he was good at committing the kind of crimes that aren't crimes because a government tells you to do them, he was bad at committing crimes that are crimes because the government tells you not to do them. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It is amazing. Wooter Basson. So, you can go find him in South Africa, say hi, see if he's got any E hanging around. I bet he's friendly, you guys. I bet he's very nice if you have a certain complexion. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna guess he's not not nice people. to everybody yes no he's yeah. not um there was like a weird story that like one of the people who was part of the prosecution against him he he gave heart surgery to like before the trial uh and it was fine uh but it's like it's pretty weird <laughs> that is so weird what people's yeah. like what their boundaries are are very strange yeah, the compartmentalization. I guess it's kind of like, like Ben Carson. Yes. Obviously, ha- hasn't committed crimes on this scale, but he's not someone I like or think is a particularly good person. But if I needed brain surgery, I'm sure he's like everything I hear is he's great at it. So what do you do? Well, Billy, this has been a fun story about a guy who tried to commit genocide and who did make a lot of people drown in their own lung fluid. You know uh, what? And then sold ecstasy and got off scot free. I so would fun. rather, if we're doing silver linings, someone try and fail at genocide and end up making ecstasy for everyone than someone yeah. trying to make fun drugs and end up committing genocide on accident. I guess you could say that Wouter Bassin is actually the best case scenario for someone who attempts to commit genocide. Like, failing to commit gen That did not make Anderson happy. No, Anderson <laughs> did not. Uh, no. It's a good dog. Um, <laughs> this is a good dog. And what you're but saying yeah, is like, bullshit. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, I normally agree. when people try to commit genocide, they kill a lot of people, and he failed to kill a lot of, well, he killed a lot of people, but then he made ecstasy, so I guess that's better than 
killing a lot of people and not i don't really know where i'm going with this i think it is going to be one of those like if there's an afterlife and it's like what your grandma thinks yeah saint peter's up there he's like ah you got a lot you made a lot of people really fucked up and happy but you did some killing Uh, i mean a lot of killing he did i think attempted genocide outweighs the ecstasy but yeah yeah. oh boy maybe there's not anything to learn from the story of wooterbassen um, other than that apartheid was garbage and the South African nation under apartheid was one of the worst countries that ever existed. Mm-hmm. And I hope Wouter Bassin gets hit by a car soon. Yeah. With a bag yeah. of pills in his hand. With a bag of pills in his hand. Trying to sell a trash bag of drugs. And they just go everywhere <laughs> and everyone gets them for free. Yeah. That's kind of the best case scenario. Well, Billy... It's been a pleasure. You got any pluggables to plug? Uh, not. I mean, yeah, I'll be on tour coming up soon. Um, we're booking all that right now. But just at Billy Wayne Davis is my Twitter, and uh, I'm on the new season of Squidbillies, so check that out. And at Billy Wayne Davis is my Instagram. So, well, you can find me on Twitter too, and I'm not going to tell you where, but you can. I'm there. Seek me out. And if you're meant to find me, you will. You can also find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram and at BastardsPod. You can find our sources at BehindTheBastards.com. And you can hopefully not attempt to commit genocide. That's all I ask of my audience. Don't do it, you guys. Don't don't even try. Not even once. Don't. You can attempt to make ecstasy. Yeah, as much as you want, really. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. This is a very pro- amateur chemistry podcast unless it's genocide chemistry yeah don't don't be doing try to help your parents marriage and don't be racist about who you give your ecstasy to give it to everybody otherwise it's a problem yeah that is fun Mm -hmm. i did yeah this one puzzled me there's some science puzzles here in this one that i yeah it's a thinker it's, it's a real thinker. It's a motherfucker is what that is, where you're just like, oh, you figured out that we're all the same, so you can't. Okay, I'm going to go. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, everybody. Have fun with this one. Enjoy your holidays. Yay. If this comes out before the holidays. Bye. Bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.